welcome to the Where Does It Come From podcast. I'm Jo Salter, founder of Where Does It Come From, creating kind clothes that tell tales. On this podcast, I'll be chatting with people who've dedicated themselves to making the world a better place through business, social enterprise, campaigning and much more. This time, I'm talking with Rachel Smith-Light, Green Party politician and Extinction Rebellion activist. Welcome everybody to the Where Does It Come From podcast and today I'm really honoured to have Rachel Smith-Light on the podcast who is a Green activist. She's also a Green Party um, candidate who stood for MP many times and she's currently serving as a Green Party councillor. So um, welcome Rachel. Would you like to tell us a bit about yourself, your roles and what brought you into politics and activism in the first place? Okay, um, I was born and brought up um, in East Suffolk and I cut a long, boring story short, um, done the usual kind of, you know, I did my degree actually as a mature student in politics and history. I did that in Bristol and I sort of did, a, you know, worked. I didn't travel as like a kind of aimless travel. I, I worked as an uh, teaching English in Indonesia for about a year. That was a long time ago. It was 20 years ago now um and lived in London for a couple of years so kind of you know moved around seen what's out there and come back and one of my one of my motivations um sort of the 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 kind of the, the homing thing um was because I wanted to try in my own small way to change things to green things and I was involved with Bristol Green Party briefly um but it was, it, it kind of wasn't quite right. And I also couldn't, I was a very much a small fish in a big pond. Not that I'm a particularly big fish now, but I just, you know what I mean? I just thought I may be able to have more impact on my home turf. So um, I would say, I've been thinking about this, what, what's, okay, I had a, a sort of what you might call a road to Damascus moment when I was actually working in Indonesia at the turn of, the century the last century obviously not the one before that (laughs) (laughs) um and I and as you don't choose these things they just come to you and and it came to me very strongly while I was over there not necessarily even based on what I was experiencing or seeing out there but I realized I had to up the game I had to and I had to do more had been previously involved with Greenpeace as an activist for them but I realized I had to kind of go when I went came home to the UK I realized I had to do more um and so it kind of has gone from there um I used to do a lot of wildlife conservation I worked as a field teacher at RSP Min, RSPB Minsmere Reserve um and I've given hours as a conservation volunteer to, you know, uh, managing habitats in various places in Suffolk for wildlife. But I realised that that was like putting a plaster on a broken leg um, with the looming climate crisis coming down the road. Um, and that was when I got involved with the Green Party. And that was in 2011. I joined. Um, and then I very, quite quickly, I was helping other people with their campaigns, but I quite quickly actually um, I got I was lucky I got kind of got mentored if you like informally by somebody who'd been in the party a long time and was very good and seemed to recognize something in me a kind of lunacy possibly or <laughs> some sort of keenness anyway um, and so I sort of started stand, standing as what they called paper candidate so I didn't do any actual campaigning I was a name on a ballot paper that's it um, and then I kind of when I didn't win I thought darn it 
Um, and then I thought, I want to do this for real. I want to be, I'm serious about this. And I got my first seat um, in 2019, May 2019, on East Suffolk Council, which of course was Suffolk Coastal District Council and Waveney Council District Council, which merged to form this new council two years ago. Um, so I've been doing that now since then. Um, I'm also uh, an Extinction Rebellion activist, um, as you would have seen from my Twitter feed. Um, and I did my first Insulate Britain type. Well, I say type because it wasn't just IB. It was it was an amalgamation of XR and IB on Saturday oh, uh, afternoon and evening. Yeah, I sat on a road um, in Vauxhall in London. Right, wonderful. Um, yeah, that's really. I didn't know. I didn't know that. So that's really, really interesting. We'll, um, come back, we'll come back to that one in a bit. Yeah, sure, sure. No, I'm. So, um, I, I knew you were heavily involved in Extinction Rebellion, um, but I wasn't sure whether you'd um, how far that had gone as yet. Um, so that's really interesting. No, I mean, obviously, for people who don't know, Rachel and I actually worked together. Probably, I don't know, twenty-five years ago, maybe nineteen ninety-five like to nineteen ninety-seven. Oh. I was at BT. Goodness, yeah, we were at BT. So that's how we got to know each other. Is um slightly more sociable creatures probably than, than we are now but it was uh, a long time ago so it's been really interesting to follow your career and obviously we've both taken slightly different directions to the same with the same underlying drivers I think which is quite interesting um, but yeah no so it's been wonderful to follow your career and see what's happening and that you actually became a councillor last year before last now so that's fantastic um, but one thing I particularly wanted to ask you about because it's very current now is COP26 because um, I've seen from your feeds that obviously you were there and you were busy um, being very active uh, in, in demonstrations and things when you were up there so can you tell us the, your story of COP26 because I think people will be really interested to hear it. Okay, uh, my story with COP26 came about, well, oof, it's hard to pinpoint. I obviously, I could, but when I, when I became, I've been aware of it for, for a long time, well over a year, and I kind of knew I had to, I had to be there somehow. I had to be there. I had to make it happen. And because I did something called the Rebel Trail last year, which was walking from Birmingham to London yeah I had to just check in my head I got that the right way around that was the right travel, uh, direction of travel um last year I did that uh walking the HS2 phase one line mm-hmm. um with some other rebels as it were um to basically two things one was to sort of survey the damage that 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 HS2 project's doing to to wildlife in Britain's remaining 2.4% of ancient woodland. And the second um, reason for that really um, was was to obviously highlight and and document what was going on along the way. Um, And I feel quite emotional talking about it now because I had no clue. If you don't live on the line, you probably won't have, frankly, and our media are not exactly telling people the truth. so anyway, through that, I met a lovely person called Helen, who's brilliant. She's an expedition leader for a living. And because of getting to know her and, and obviously others as well, another one of whom who joined us in Glasgow, um, I sort of vaguely became aware that there was this crazy, mad plan to walk from London to Glasgow and in time for COP, um, called Camino to COP. And so the 5th of September, about 30 or 40 
people uh, slash nutters <laughs> started started this crazy idea, this walk from from London on, on the fifth of September. I would love to have had been able to take that. Well, I don't know if I would love to have done actually because I'm much I'm much more of a cyclist than I am a walker. Um, and I, I don't know if it was really hard the bit that I did do. So I don't know if I'd survived it. But anyway, part of me would have loved to have done the whole thing, but I couldn't because I just didn't have the time, didn't don't have the time. So I joined them in Carlisle, uh, and that was on the 13th, 14th of October, I think. And then it took us about two weeks to walk from Carlisle, arriving in Glasgow on the 30th on that lovely sunny Saturday, despite all the rain. We were so, so relieved that we arrived in the dry. <laughs> So otherwise, it would have, apart from anything, the photos wouldn't have looked very good. Um, uh, so to a quite quiet reception, but lots of journalists interest, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. So um, and then so that you would think that would be the end of it. But it kind of wasn't because we had with us something, a wonderful garment, which you might be interested in, Joe, called the Coat of Hopes. Mm-hmm. Um, which started life on the south coast in New Haven in August and it was a blank piece of wool blanket made into a coat a very basic long floor length coat Um, it was completely bare by the time we got to Glasgow it was covered in patches beautiful sometimes really quite intricate embroidered patches that people all over the UK had made and sent to us and we've been frantically stitching uh, en route to get these patches on in time for arrival in Glasgow. It even had a train in, in the end. It had an extension and it's it weighed, amazing, a, ton. It weighed yeah. a ton. <laughs> but that, that's a, one of those things, isn't it, that clothing and things like that can tell stories and it, they can be used in so many different ways and you emotionally put so much into it. And I think I saw a photo of the wonderful Caroline Lucas. Um, did she wear yeah. it or just hold it up? She, she wore it. We were, I mean, I, I was like, because because what was happening once we arrived in Glasgow is every morning at 9am, 9.30 thereabouts, a group of us would take it um, from its resting place in a church called the Tron St George's Church in Glasgow, where it's sort of that's where it kind of was living. It was like almost like it was in a museum. It's not a museum. It's a working church. and It's also a cafe, but it was sort of displayed beautifully on this on the stage sort of area. So it was and lit, you know, it's fantastic. And it would come off that resting place every morning we would walk it down Barbara who wore it um who was really the orchestrator of the whole of the coat she's like six foot I don't even know six foot two three she's super tall so it's perfect because yeah. she could she could literally carry the whole thing you know she could wear it wear it with her waddle, height. It. waddle it work it so we would walk it down to the blue zone of cop every morning um I didn't do every morning because I was too I started off staying in Glasgow city centre-ish and then, unfortunately, I had to move out, um, which was always the plan. Nothing went wrong. It was just that I only had accommodation in Glasgow itself for the first four nights. And after that, I was at moving out. I had to move out of town um, by about sort of 15 miles. So I couldn't then do that every morning, you know, be with them. But that I was absolutely determined I was going to be there for Caroline Lucas. And, and we met her at the Blues, just outside the Blue Zone. And bless her, she's such a good sport. She must have had such a packed schedule. But she made time to wear it. We sang the song, the coat, there's a song that goes with yeah, it, yeah. of course. Of course. Uh, and she sang along oh, and yeah. she was visibly moved. And she's just, I mean, I'm, I'm such a girl fan. So I'm, yeah, I am well. I am, I'm so yeah. biased anyway. You know, um, I don't pretend that to, to, to have any, uh, any uh, impartiality where she's concerned. <laughs> so, but she was such a superstar. So, yeah, that was lovely. 
we also bumped into John Kerry uh, another time. Wonderful. Um, he was really beautiful manners, but he we 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 feel like we nearly got him to wear it, but he was just in a rush. And fair enough, you know, because it, it, it's not just a case of you just bung it on and we take some snaps. You know, you have to have the song. Yeah, and it's, yes. it's ceremonial, and the whole thing takes time. Yeah, that's wonderful. So that was the coat of hopes. Um, I think I'm not quite sure. I'm I'm meeting some of those wonderful people I got to know during that Camino next weekend in London and um, I'm hoping to hear more about what's happened to the coat mm. then um, but it, I'm pretty certain it won't get stuffed away in a, in a case in a loft somewhere it's too important yeah I mean, um, against the stories it, it's probably the coat and then the stories it almost needs to have stories written around it and photographs and all of that kind of thing what it means as opposed to what it is I suppose yeah absolutely um, so that was number one. The, the number two strand, um, I was there. I'm on a National Green Party Campaigns Committee, Climate Committee. Um, there's four of us, soon to be five. Um, and we've spent months, as you might expect, preparing for COP26. Mm. Um, it's been incredibly complicated and long-winded, but we we finally got, you know, we got there and and, and I was in Glasgow for that as well, you know, putting the finishing touches, making placards, you know getting our posters up making some into banners and we had our 10 point climate plan um, leaflet as well that we were distributing so I was kind of there in that with that hat on and then I was also there with my XR hat on as well Um, I think I took part the first week there was just every day there was some kind of march and I think I pretty much did them all including a demonstration outside JP Morgan Um, and um so yeah it was it was pretty full on the the, the fridays for future on oddly enough the friday was i think the biggest one of those i've ever seen it was amazing of all the youngsters so great to see them and then on the saturday the the, the people's march um it was a hundred thousand people amazing. on the streets i mean it was we just you know i don't know i hadn't really analyzed it but i was thinking in the thousands but not a hundred thousand and we think we were all blown away and it was raining and blowing a gale so we were just bowled over by how many people were there. Fabulous. It was phenomenal. Yeah. I interviewed somebody last time, actually, a couple of weeks ago, who was there at the time. I did a live one from there. And he was telling me that the um, marches and things that he took, he was actually there as a delegate, but he took a part in a couple of marches as well. But he was saying that um, the atmosphere inside was really muted, but the atmosphere outside was really lively, you know, samba bands, lots of excitement going on, lots of community feel going on, whereas inside it felt a lot more restrained, I suppose. I can well believe it. I mean, obviously, I was, I'm not important enough to be allowed into the blue zone, but from what I saw um, from the stream, you know, from, from the filming on, of the inside, it did that was very muted I mean obviously it's a serious a really deadly serious business if you'll pardon the pun you know and it should it shouldn't be like a a carnival you know they were there to to work hard to to do the diplomacy necessary to get the the crucial deals done you know which we now know didn't happen but so it should have been somber to an extent but I was very glad to be where I was with who I was and and to be inspired. You know, we met delegates from from all over the world, uh, you know, in the street Mm. and had some really interesting conversations, some impromptu dancing. As you say, the samba bands were very much in evidence. Um, And and one particular day, actually, I went to um, Pollock Shields, which is a fantastic community in the south of Glasgow, um, 
they are an example to us all of how to build community and, and care for, for one another in this amazing outdoor former bowling green space um uh with sort of portaloo and every, you can always get a cup of tea it's that kind of place it's so welcoming and the kids all race across there after school and it's wonderful and amal if you, you must have heard of little amal mm. um the refugee puppet yeah. who's yeah. come from syria well, she arrived and that was it i was just in pieces i was just blubbing oh. um it was so so emotional when she turned up and um all the kids were just like ah, you know we were all like oh so it was it was yeah, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. Um, Life-changing life experience. Uh, when, God, yeah, yeah. But when you went, what, I mean, obviously you've been planning it for some time. What were your hopes? What were your goals when you went there? Right. <laughs> my goals were, okay, my goals were my own to an extent, but they were also, and I'm not um, just saying as this is a mouthpiece for Green Party England and Wales, but... Um, I'm in the party I'm in for a reason um, and they have the five tests that Green Party put together and I'm happy to read those to you now they're Please quite do. they're very I can they're very much summarized for this purpose um, and they were these five tests the Green Party are asking for was offsetting number one test number one offsetting should be outlawed as part of the measurement of net zero reporting from governments and industries, meaning it shouldn't be possible to offload heavy lifting onto other countries or to gain carbon credit via initiatives like tree planting as an alternative to real cuts in emissions. So, of course, that that means things like flying. That's just one example. Um, There isn't actually enough land mass to plant all the trees that the airlines, etc., would have you believe is possible. So, you know, the truth is we just need to do less of these things that we know are damaging and preferably stop it altogether at some point soon. And so test number two, loss and damage. Loss and damage must be front and centre of any agreement with increases in uh, aid to countries on the front line of climate crisis impacts. So loss and damage, um, cash transfers in the form of grants, yeah, crucially rather than loans. Yep countries that are already overburdened with debt i mean you'll know this joe from from what's happened Mm -hmm. that they would they've been granting loans not grants which is appalling it's appalling um considering we were one of the first countries to industrialize and so we have that debt karmic and otherwise don't we so test three of five um phase out fossil fuels it's a no-brainer isn't isn't it as they say you'd think Um, Well, you would think, yeah. Uh, Fossil fuels must remain uh, in the agreement and the language around this must be clear and and unambiguous. So phase out of all fossil fuels. Um, Vague text around abatement and and efficiency must be replaced with clear commitments to rapidly eliminate fossil fuels. And my own personal hope on this um, and ours as as a committee, um, it should be absolutely left in the ground, the oil and coal Mm. and absolutely in no longer in any use anywhere by 2030 so test four or five carbon pricing each country should commit to a system of carbon pricing to ensure the most polluting industries not only pay for the impact of their emissions but are also incentivized to find efficient means of reducing them test five 
national targets. We must intensify future progress, checking on nationally determined contributions. Countries should check in yearly on nationally determined contributions to show domestic progress towards global goals. So there you go. No, interesting. They're very interesting. Um, I think, for example, I mean, for me, offset. I totally agree with all that on offsetting. Um, I think it's become such a cop out in terms of we can do these bad things, but it's okay. We're going to plant a few trees. And like you're saying about flying in particular, for me as a someone running a business, it happens with freight. There's so many businesses I know that tell me they're carbon neutral, but when you start digging down, they're offsetting the freight costs, you know, which, which is most of the carbon for many production companies. Um, climate justice. I think this is an interesting one because um for me, as someone who was glued to watching the speeches and things that were going on during COP26, it was wonderful to see the people there from these communities and the Prime Minister of Barbados. And we had people from. The oh, Maldives. I'm so glad you mentioned her. Yeah, she was amazing. Her speech inspiring. was just staggering, wasn't it? Yeah, it oh. was. And so, so exactly what needed to be said. And there were nodding heads around, you know, the ones that were awake anyway. And there was, you know, it was an amazing speech. And there were lots of amazing speeches from these people, from also from young people, but there just wasn't enough of it do you know what I mean there was still there was still that element of I'm not sure that people really understand the impacts or on these countries that they're immediate that the things are happening now you know there's not this is not like 2030 this is right now and we need to be pointing this out even more but yes she was someone I'm going to keep sharing her speech so people can keep listening to it and hearing what she had to say because she was basically saying look into your heart think about all these people around the world think about these impacts let's deal with this as human beings for each other so I found that very moving um yeah so I think climate climate justice is something as you say it can't be loan can't be um loans it has to be grants and I think the other thing that upset me was the fact that there was a target set I think in um, was it in Paris? I'm not sure, but oh, two or three years ago at a COP, yes. saying they had yeah. to do a hundred billion. They haven't done it. So no. even I know they- absolutely Paris 2015, which was that groundbreaking, supposedly mm. COP, groundbreaking COP. Um, that was agreed that that we would um, reparate, call reparations, yep. isn't it? For these yep. for the damage that, that that our industrialized nations have caused to these countries. They haven't seen the money yet. I they mean, how appall- how appalling is that? And the other thing I'm slightly embarrassed to admit to is that I didn't know until this year, this COP, that in Paris 2015, they didn't agree to fossil fuel cuts, to no, fossil fuel, the, 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 the fossil fuel term was not, was barely there, barely referenced. I think they I don't didn't think commit yeah, to reducing. I, I mean, I find that appalling. I don't think they really, I don't think it was ever officially admitted that firstly that humanity was behind the climate emergency and secondly that fossil fuels had such a big part until the IPCC report out in July this year and if you think about it even after this year's COP26 the number of um, countries who are still arguing about those two proven facts it's it's caused the um, the eventual agreement to be watered down to that we're not going to 
remove fossil fuels we're going to was it i can't remember the phrase play I down draw play, some, i can't remember either made but yeah. up phrase but which means we're not going to commit to stop using fossil yeah. fuels so i think that's obviously a huge one we don't we both agree totally on fossil fuels i don't think we need to cover that one too much i think the carbon pricing stuff is really interesting and for me particularly with transparency and supply chains i it's looking at that whole supply chain that, that absolutely everything that happens in life in production in everything and seeing the carbon impacts of all of it and not just taking um, the last little bit I mean for example one one example I'm always saying is when you make a t-shirt and you're using cotton from the other side of the world and then you're typing made in England on the label a lot of people think that's great because there's hardly any carbon there because this thing was made in England and then you have to say well that cotton was actually grown in India and then it was processed there and then it maybe traveled to China to have something done and then it came to England and I don't think people understand that and it's not it's it's not talked about you know in terms of labor or carbon or anything like that so yeah that that needs to be dealt with and then um yeah talking about the national targets I mean one thing that worries me I'm not a great I should probably say this I'm not a great nationalist in any way I mean I I think we're I'm a citizen of the world, you know. I come from a mixed heritage, and I feel a citizen of the world. And yes, I accept that. Yeah, I accept. So we, we do in XR. Sorry, old habits what, die hard. What does that mean? We agree. We're oh, something. I quite that. like. That. I'm going to be doing that for now. <laughs> rather um, than butting, which I'm just doing. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm a great butter winner. But yeah, no, I like that. That's good. Um, I just nod a lot. Yeah, but yeah. So I, I, I think. Um, Yes, there has to be, I suppose, smaller targets. I mean, we remember from our BT days having to have smaller teams to agree big goals. But if the smaller goals don't actually add up to meeting the big goal, then something's wrong, isn't it? So that's mm-hmm. really important that all those goals link together. So I'm right behind all those, what, what you've talked about. And I think that they're, they're fascinating. And I would urge anybody listening to go and find out more about them. And if you think they make sense to you, then you know, obviously find out more about the Green Party and how you can get involved in what's going on. And if they don't make sense to you, maybe talk to someone about it and they can explain some of the thinking behind it a bit more. I'm sure Rachel would and I'm sure lots of other people from the Green Party would as well. And I even will if I can. So I think it's um, it's very interesting. So anyway, back to COP26. Um, what do you think went well and what do you think... you didn't go well you've already alluded to the fact that it hasn't met your expect or hopes um what would you say did it achieve and what do we have to work on now um okay i think i mean there's no two ways about it okay it it, it has failed let's i don't want to greenwash that certainly don't want to whitewash it um we have to be clear um and honest about that and and greater thinkers and, and much better known people like me, such as George Monbiot, Rupert Reed, um, amongst others, have, yeah, uh, <laughs> have said it's failed categorically, you know, um, and, and it has. Um, so the good thing you can say, okay, from a personal perspective, a personal perspective, as I've already alluded to, um, it was useful for me and therefore must have been for others too. Although, as I say, I haven't had a chance to catch up with those others that I, that I met yet. Um, because, because of the connection. Yeah. Ian Forster's famous quote, only connect. 
Mm. And, and those connections that we all made with people from the global south, with Wanda, with Scotland, with Scotland, those are never wasted. And there was such solidarity for those of us on the outside of the blue zone. That's really important because this is quite a lonely business. You know, I do a lot of my work from my kitchen um, and I live alone. And it's so important, therefore, to to get that that feeling of strength in numbers, which these things give you from uh, uh, an international perspective um going forward we now know because it's so spectacularly failed and it and it has with the gloves are off there's a sort of a freedom in um we now know no one's coming to rescue us we now know we can't rely on our leaders um and that's quite scary and sobering but but also we can start to assimilate right what what do we do now you know it's kind of, it's hard I'm not I'm sorry I'm aware I'm not articulating this very well but um and it's still early days because we're all still flapping about thinking oh god now what you know to an extent um but we now know we have to go all guns blazing uh you know we the royal I mean I from my personal perspective I now have I now know I have to up the ante on protest yeah. right I now know I have to up the ante of the Green Party um and that probably means dedicating what's left of my life to doing so to be honest because things are so urgent and, and we've got such poor leadership you know not just obviously in this country um yeah we can't wait we can't wait um and we urgently need other people to 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 fast track if you like their own journey with this thing you know I mean I've been doing this for not this exactly but as as I've alluded to earlier from what I told you about my background I've been in one form or another on this journey for about 20-25 years and I appreciate many other people most other people haven't so they're not in the same place that I am with it but it is possible to go from 0 to 60 um it, you know, in, uh, you know, in, in a faster time than might be previously the case. I mean, you know, and people really need to. Uh, that's my plea mm. is please, you know, get on board with this, you know. Um, mm. and, and, you know, wherever you see yourself slotting in, yeah, whether it's sort of more conventional way of doing things, such as joining a political party like ours, uh, and, ca- and campaigning actively that doesn't just mean you know we always have a lot of people that join that don't actually ever do anything um and while we absolutely welcome the joining fee um and the support that that brings we we absolutely urgently need more people to step up and 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 do stuff yeah yeah we all know you know people have lives families jobs blah blah everyone has stuff but you know, I would just ask people to kind of try and find a small window in your life and do something, you know, and if you if you are able to, then then join us on the streets. It doesn't really matter what the label is. It doesn't really matter if it's XR or IB or whatever it is. Please just do it. You don't have to get arrested. It's helpful if you're willing to get arrested. 
because it stuffs up the system and we need to stuff up the system in order for the system to start creaking and change. Um, it's not something, I mean, I got arrested for the first time in August and it wasn't something I ever thought I would do and I didn't do it lightly. I thought it through and I did it for an action I thought it was worth being arrested for. Um, you don't have to, as I say, at all. Um, and I think that the thing is, if you've never, people are frightened, some people are frightened of Extinction Rebellion, certainly in Slate Britain, and I get and I get why, I do get it. But if you've never actually met people involved in those movements, you're missing out on some of the, the most loveliest, warmest, beautiful, which sounds a bit hippie, but people <laughs> that, you, that you will ever meet. You know, and we're all, we're all in this constantly amazed at you know everywhere we go the harry krishnas turn up like with some hot food and some fruit and a vegan cupcake on a good day you know um somebody's always got a piece of foam you can sit on there's always somebody with blankets or and there's marcus turns up with his ukulele and his gorgeous wife holly and they've always got lots of wonderful simple funny little tunes we can all sing along to and um there's there's legal observers, there's um, arrestee support people, there's there's welfare people, there's police liaison people. You know, it's an extraordinary movement. It's an extraordinary, it's not an organisation, but if you want to call it that. I mean, it's, I can't, you know, I don't gush, but it, if you've never, ever met any of, of well, I'm one of them, but, it, you know, it's, it's hard to convey, but those who have done it know that in numbers you stop feeling scared. Mm. You really, you genuinely do. And the police, they vary, they're people, and they're under pressure from their people in their earpieces, you know, to follow their their orders. But they've got kids too. A lot of them are worried too. Some are more sympathetic to us than others, but they are there to serve us. They are there to do a job. Um, it's not generally, it's really not this, this awful, scary terrorist thing. I'm afraid the right wing press are making it out to be. It's really not. And I'm afraid, and I'm afraid it's necessary. I mean, if you know your history, okay. If you, if you know about Gandhi, if you know about obviously the suffragettes, Martin Luther King, um, Mandela, Mandela. Mandela to an extent yeah um, and, and, and actually more recently the um, the farmers in India who campaigned in numbers on the street at the market in the markets didn't they for, yeah. for a year they won they won so people who think this doesn't work are wrong yeah. this is probably the only thing that that works it's certainly the only thing that ever has worked it's it's People have said better people, more knowledgeable, knowledgeable people than me who studied this stuff for like a PhD. This is the 3.5% rule. What's 3.5% of our population in this country? It's about 2 million, isn't it? I'm no mathematician. But I think it's something around about that. It's, yeah, not, an exact seven, it's not an exact science. Yeah. But that's if we can get that many people mobilised. And I don't mean marching. We've tried marching. We, I don't know about if you were there for the Iraq demonstrations in 2003 there was over a million of us and it, it didn't work Blair went yeah, ahead anyway exactly. so we know it doesn't work okay and we're Brexit. not talk- yeah and Brexit we're not talking about marching for one day they don't care about that because they know you're just going to march and then go home right you have to be willing to make yourself a bit uncomfortable and you have to be willing to stay 
Yeah. And you have to be willing to stay sometimes for days. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean you sleep out all night, but you have to find some way to be. Yeah. You have to be mobile. You have to be agile. And and when I say agile, it's not an age thing because, like my friend Pam, she won't mind me saying she got arrested on on Saturday and she's eighty something. I don't know, but I just know she's over eighty. Yeah. So you know, there, I'm sorry, but there are no excuses. You know, we had there was a lady with a tracheotomy who got arrested next to me. You know, and and, and I'm talking. So I'm talking like there's even there was earlier on even some children came with their along with their parents. So at one point it was, you know, fairly family friendly before it got a bit spicy later on. So you don't have to, you know, you don't have to do, you know, you you want people, need, you know, going to need to ease into this and they're going to need to get there, you know, in their own time. And we know that. But it's that's what it's going to take, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. And I'm at that point of realisation yeah. um, through through learning from people who are more learned than me, who who know more than I do and have studied stuff. It's, it's an interesting one. And like you say, it's his, there's a huge historical precedent for this. And I'm just talking about hippies, by the way, you mentioned the word hippies. I obviously get hip, called hippie quite a lot. I take that as a compliment. You know, I think being a hippie for me and maybe it's a people are looking back to the 60s, 70s before we were around. But, you know, hippies were was a different was a drug smoking, you know, whatever. I see hippie as a nature lover, a natural person you know who's not afraid to be who they are mm-hmm. and you've also alluded to that yeah <laughs> I like doing that the <laughs> community side of things I mean I've only done a small amount with XR but the community side has been um, fantastic you know we were screaming about fashion in Ipswich Town Centre a couple of, just before the pandemic and things like that I tended to have been on the fashion side of things but the community side is great and finding people like yourself I think is also a, a nice it's always that feeling of coming home isn't it when you meet people who are like yourself and we all get one unfortunate part of our world at the moment is this thing of we all tend to be in bubbles and our bubbles don't cross all that easily and it's really challenging I find because you can be in a place where you think um, you feel everyone agrees with you everyone th- feels the same as you and that's a lovely comfortable place to be but actually we have to cross into some of these other bubbles to say like family it's quite often family and friends isn't it and social occasions where they think oh here comes the widow hippie again going banging on about nature and stuff but you really have to cross into those bubbles and find ways of communicating with people um in ways that aren't going to frighten them to the point that they're going to be inactive because I think there becomes a point when you frighten people too much that they they are inactive or become really aggressive Mm -hmm. but at the same time you know, I was at a family event a few weeks ago and people were saying to me, oh, if I saw these insulate Britons, I'd rev my car up and I'd go over there and I'd run them over and all this nonsense. And people were saying to me, um, but they're losing popularity in the country. And I first, firstly, no, they're not. But secondly, they're not out to make friends. You know, we're not out to make friends. This is not a, a this is not like a Facebook where we're trying to add to the number of friends we have. This is a bringing people in to join in something where we all believe it's so important to do this. And that talking of the wonderful George Monbiot, as we were, he wrote a wonderful article, I think, at the weekend about um, just needing 25 percent of the population to want to change the political leadership that we're, that we're in. And once you reach that 25 percent of people who kind of go, actually, look, this leadership isn't working for us or our world or our people or anything. That's not even the marching people, the people who are actually active this is the people who are willing to speak out against it write to their MPs, vote against it, whatever, then we can have change. Because 
I don't know about you, but the way I feel it is we're almost like a two state system at the moment. You know, I feel I have nothing in common with our leadership and so many people. I don't understand how people can do the things that they do and vote the way they do and thinking about asylum seekers and all of these kind of things, some of the cruelty that happens. So it's not just the planet, it's a huge amount of things. And it feels like we're we're two different states. And one the extreme end of one state is the people who are taking action, getting arrested, gluing themselves to things. And you have to have, and I say, I don't mean extreme in a negative way. What I mean is they're really out there making changes, but you need that. And then you need the people who are gradually coming along the road um, in that direction and willing to vote against things and speak out and educate their friends and family. So you kind of need everybody. I mean, we, we talk about it in terms of a a journey everyone's at a different place on the journey and we talk about this a lot with um, ethical fashion and ethical consumerism I guess that you're you're starting to learn and you're starting to make more conscious choices as you go through life and the far end of that the, the, the real committed end of that is the kind of thing that you're doing and we need more people to be doing that to help move to this 25% when we can finally get rid of you know what we've got at the moment and have a system that works much better for the majority of people and for the planet so as you've got me ranting now um i must stop it no no you're not rant no you're not ranting <laughs> at all and i and we both know we're we're on the same page here which is you know i spend a lot of my well not a lot but a fair amount of my time not being on the same page as people and that's really as you say it's crucial there's no point in us staying in our our, our um our echo chambers is there we we absolutely have to be out there speaking to the people who are not on yeah. side of course and we do them along but i mean some, some yeah them, you won't persuade some people because they feel well unfortunately as you said before a lot of the media communication about well they avoid the planet stuff now because i think they know that a lot of people are afraid and knowledgeable um, and they, they try and the, the, the thing seems to be now you can carry on doing exactly what you're doing, but do it in a more green way, which, you know, there's some something in that a little bit, but not really. We really have to make massive changes to the way that we're living at the moment. But but there's still there's that comfort, keeping people feeling comfortable, trying to get voted in for the next four years and, and all of that, you know, but we need to have bigger changes than that. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think um, I I do believe that there's going to be a lot more activism a lot more people rebelling I mean I was talking to my parents about this who are Green Party members too and they're very much in the there needs to be a revolution you know and it sounds that sounds really like say really hippie really out there but actually if the thing status quo doesn't get rocked then this isn't going to get sorted out is it so no it's not I'm afraid and and you know as I say you know nobody I know you know wants to be sat on, on a cold road, possibly in the rain and the cold, being shouted at by motorists. You know, of course, of course not. I mean, what kind of what kind of perverted people do people do does the public think that the Insulate Britain and XR are if if that's what we enjoy? We're doing it because it's necessary, because it's because it's visible, because it's out there, because it can't be swept under the carpet, because it can't be ignored any longer. You know, if we're all just on on signing online petitions, writing to our MPs possibly and chatting with each other on Facebook, I'm afraid nothing much is going to get done. Nothing much is going to change. And that's just the reality. Unfortunately, it's come to this. It shouldn't have come to this, but it has come to this. Um, 
and and that's what's now necessary unfortunately um yeah I think I think people don't actually understand the timescales involved. No. That's part of the problem because that because for a lot of people, COP26 is probably the first that they've really heard about the need. You know, the fact that leaders in the world are getting together and the fact that it's in the UK, they've actually heard about the seriousness of the situation. So they're starting their journey there. They don't necessarily understand that urgency that we that do we, understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I know, and it, it is it is. It's it's very hard. It's very scary for people when they realise just how bad things are now. Mm. Um, you know, um, we're one of the most denuded countries in the world. Um, and we've got, you know, the prime minister and, and others just spouting absolute rubbish mm. and meaningless stuff about being green. Um, and it's just rubbish. It's, it's basically rubbish when yeah. you see what they've done in, you know, in, in the Chilterns and in Warwickshire mm. with the, de- the destruction of nature. Yeah. Which of course is so intricately linked to the climate crisis. Of course, yeah. They're two. They're totally synonymous, and that's something else people need to understand. You know, if we keep losing our nature, it's not just a nice to have for middle class people to go bird watching at the weekend. You know, it's essential. If we don't have wildlife in in all its glory, it, whether it's a blade of grass or a bird or an insect or all of it then the whole web of life collapses, including ours. And we are we are nature. And it's about time we got reacquainted with that, mm. um, that fact. And, and we are going to have to stop shopping. You know, that's like a national pastime now. And it's and I, and I think that, you know, I don't want to rant either, but there's such a spiritual poverty in this country since consumerism seemed to replace religion and yeah. and. And, and football and other not that that's been replaced but you know what I mean it's sort of the, the things that bound communities together yeah. and gave ident- national identity and, and regional identities has been eroded to such a point that we're sort of left with this kind of horrible nihilistic hedonistic kind of society in a way and I think that's a huge problem we can't we, we can't ignore the fact that there is this spiritual dearth and that doesn't mean not being religious it's not about religion it's about it's about proportion. It's about humanity. It's about proportionality. It's about our place as individuals and as communities, etc., within nature, within the world, within the planet, and and how you know that lovely expression Ubuntu. I'm okay. You're okay. Mm-hmm. I am because you are. We would yeah, do yeah. really, really well as a society to to adhere to that and remember that right now. Yeah. And then and then I think we've, we've got a really strong chance of moving forward together. Yeah, um, that's got to be that's got to be not just local society, but also global society and not just people, but also <laughs> wildlife and other forms of nature and, and, and everything that we work on. I mean, it's, it's interesting what you're saying, actually, because obviously I talk, do a lot of talks on consumerism anti-consumerism and that kind of thing but you're right even the things like football which were a local um, community thing have become so commercial haven't they everything is about the economic system that we work in that it's just become pushed more and more and more even the pandemic became commercialized and it's about growth all the time we need to make this economic growth we need to make money Everything can be bought and sold. If it doesn't have a price tag on, it has no value. And that has been nature for a long time. So it's not valued. Um, And as you say, people go out and they spend their money and they 
that they believe that gives them rights but what they're not understanding because they've never been told never been made to understand it that there are much bigger impacts on from what they're doing from the choices that they're making on a huge number of the other people in the world the wildlife the planet the nature our own mental health our own physical health with the air that we breathe and the water systems and all of that all of that comes from the choices that we make when we spend our money or don't or choose not to spend our money Absolutely. And that's where you come in with the great work that you've done with where does it come from? No, it's true. It should be credited as such. I'm just constantly I'm, I'm kind of mystified, actually, by what it is that some slash many people and I am talking. I can only really talk from perhaps my the perspective of being in England and being British in my own country, as it were, what it is about our society that so many people seem to think is so wonderful that it should be held on to with all their might, no matter what. You know, what is it that they think is they're so terrified of losing that they think is so marvellous about the way we live? Because I think it's pretty hateful. And I have done for a long time. I felt alienated for a long, long, long time. Most of my adult life, I felt alienated, actually, by my own so-called society, which has been come less and less cohesive, less and less caring, less and less community orientated, more I only care about myself and my immediate family and sod everyone else kind of, I'm exaggerating to make a point, Joe, but you know what I mean. And we've got, not that much, we've got, you know, we've got one of the highest suicide rates. Certainly it's the biggest killer of men, isn't it? Under 50, yeah. I think. And, and that's not just random. It's not just one of those things. It's it comes from a place of a loss of control. I'm not an expert, but that's as I understand it. Mm. And that loss of control, loss of genuine choice and harks back to what I said before about our sort of increasingly hedonistic or nihilistic culture that no wonder, no wonder the spiritual poverty thing again. Mm. No wonder because people feel so like they don't have real genuine choices, genuine control over much. Um, and, and their entire survival is dependent on them being in hock to some employer or other. Exactly. Well, employer, which may, which may be gone tomorrow. Anyway. I mean, that's no, it's no way to live. No, Can you really not think of a better way to live than that? And if you think about the young people, because I, I, one thing that I felt really passionately about with um, Glasgow was um, obviously I'm very, very young mentally, but not quite as young physically as I was. Um, and I, really felt for the young people and there was some of course the wonderful groups of youth outside but there were some wonderful speakers there was a Australian um, girl that I can't quite remember her name but she was so articulate and I really felt for her and everybody else who was talking about these things and again it's that split society the way I see it there's these amazingly aware young people obviously Greta um, Thunberg and people like that who are out speaking out there saying we want this we're angry we need the world to change on the other side you've got large numbers of youths that are being fed the marketing messages and falling for it and then going to choose to shop from you know I, I'll do it companies like Primark like Shine like ASOS and those kind of companies and just buying loads of old excrement and basically Rubbish. yeah that's better yeah and 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 falling for that putting value on what you're spending love island is the example i have never watched love island but you know i've heard about it and um i've seen clips from it and i feel sorry i only feel pity for the people involved in that program because they they have 
being taught they're the, the, the sort of epicenter of this is what's important you know these items of clothing these things that we have there's no sense of knowledge or wisdom or experience or even like you say spirituality in any of that so you've got two different completely different bubbles of youth you know and it's how do we help people to see what's important to them going forward and in the planet you know and I give you can I just follow on from that like just quickly you you've inspired me to think as a, as a direct example of what you've just said on Saturday, as in the day before yesterday in, in Lambeth, sat down blocking a road. Um, it was so interesting, the reaction. We got a few sort of mostly chaps rolling out of the local pub, you know, pint in hand, um, who were having a go at some of us. And you cannot reason with a drunk person, as you know, you, you just cannot. Um, and there was some who fell into that category a clutch of young people who were sort of jeering and taking the the, the mick and um weren't particularly even interested in in our response you know what why we were there even um and then on the flip side i noticed you had some other young people um who just happened actually to be black in in, in this particular case who were really intrigued and seemed also to be really quite concerned watching, you know, white people of all ages being dragged off the road and, and bundled into police vans. Mm. So you had, just to illustrate what you've just said, you had this absolute split down the middle, middle juxtaposition of those wearing all the designer gear, half cut on a Saturday night, mm. you know, just sort of jeering and, 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 and not getting it at all, vis-a-vis the, the more sober, perhaps in every sense, yeah, um crowds a lot of young people yeah who were bystanders as well but it, it seemed to have a very different view of the proceedings yeah no it's really interesting isn't um, it? I mean it I, don't is, know, yeah. I don't know how you reach them I mean I, I genuinely don't it's got to be through role models hasn't it? it has to be through watching it and experiencing it and being inspired by something I mean I, I don't pretend to even know what would inspire um young people to to change it's got to be just learning um has to be education in the broadest sense when because when people say oh it's education it always sounds a bit of a lazy sort of thing to say doesn't it and to most people myself included at one point you know education always meant the rigid confines of the school system but it's not that kind of education that that we're talking about at all no and and of course the most powerful thing would be one of their own peers wouldn't exactly. it exactly that's that's what i was sort of coming to there's some some if anyone's out there listening or anyone knows somebody <laughs> yeah. but i think it has to be um inspiration doesn't it always has to be yeah. that's why I, I say we have to keep talking we have to yeah. keep to, I, I say be the annoying person at the dinner be the annoying person at the barbecue whatever who is putting your point but don't i always say don't rant i know i do it i know i do we can't help we all do we all do but try and bring them with you try and find a place of common ground do you love nature do you love going for walks how would you feel if that wasn't there anymore you know how would you feel without it's a really difficult one i mean it's with extinction rebellion there's the three goals isn't there of what what it's all trying to do um can you outline what the three extinction rebellion goals are uh, well, tell the truth, number one, which is still not happening. Mm. Um, certainly not from our media or the government, I'm afraid. Three years on from the first rebellions and well, that's still not, not happening. Um, citizens' assemblies, 
we they have had a they have had a, a citizens assembly at Westminster, um, but it it because they're not legally binding, um, they can be ignored, and so far they have been ignored. Um, I think, and I wonder how the people that took part in that are going to feel about that. You know, increasingly, actually, as an aside, when I was walking to Glasgow from Carlisle, I had a really interesting chat with a chap um, who just sort of came joined us. He was had a day off from work and he just happened to be in the area on our way into Glasgow. And um, he was saying um, he he'd just been on the Scottish, the Scottish sort of version of, of the Citizens Assembly. Um, and I said, oh, you know, I'd love to sort of interview about that. But he said he wasn't really keen to discuss it. And I said, well, fair enough. He was OK to discuss it with me anecdotally there and then, but he just didn't want to have it in writing, which is fair enough. Yeah. Um, but I said, you know, did you feel... Um, listen to and did you feel that you know it was going to make a difference and he said yeah he said he said he felt he hoped he said that it would um and that it did um and um so yeah he kind of yeah he's he, he it was really really good to talk to him actually um and he said it was quite interesting that people seem to be you know quite quite passionate um about it and and mostly on on side and uh, you know as you've said yourself um i think people are really worried and good frankly you yeah. know good because we should be we have no idea how vulnerable we are no. the world is not a big place not really no indeed and um however much you go and explore other planets we're all stuck here at the moment oh um, don't get me started on space travel or me. Um, what was the third one sorry the third, the, third one? so the third the third one um was at, well actually sorry i got it the right way around the first one's tell the truth the second one is act now oh, right, and, okay, then yeah. the, and the third one um is go beyond politics i.e citizens assemblies yeah, yeah, yeah. um so the act now part is halting biodiversity loss and reduce ga- uh, greenhouse gas emissions to net zero by 2025 and we're already in 2021 so that's yeah. incredibly ambitious the green party ours is 2030 this government is 2050 and that is far far too late way too late yeah um so um yeah and i'm not just saying this because i'm exile green party as well but i actually do i i personally believe as a councillor i have actually I uh, can't remember, I think it was, was it March this year? I think it was. Um, I put a motion to full council, the council I sit on East Suffolk um, as part of my political group to try and get these, uh, you know, the Climate and Ecological Emergency Bill, known as C-Bill for short, yeah. C-E-E. Um, and it's currently under the banner of Zero Hour, is the new name for that campaign. Okay. And um, I tried to get our council to um, support that in March and they didn't want to. And the thing that they hated the most, um, this is a Conservative-led administration, needless to say, um, the thing that they, they really can't stomach is the, was the uh, the part of it about citizens' assemblies because it would have meant having a citizens' assembly um, and they feel that democracy is fine as it is. Thank you very much. And why, do we, why, is there, why is there any need? Yeah, exactly. Why would there be any need for one of those? Well, if you... Um, I- if, I don't I'm sure you've seen it but for anybody um, listening the um, 
the People versus Climate Change program that was made by um, the BBC, I think last year, wasn't it? Beginning yeah. just before the, the beginning of they the pandemic. They just repeated it, haven't they? Yeah, I, 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 I'm sure they have. I've watched it on. It's on, on iPlayer. Yeah, yeah. On iPlayer. Anyone should watch that because I think that was a really wonderful way of showing how, with education, and as Rachel said, we're not talking school education. We're talking about getting experts in to talk to you and give you the facts and the actual proven scientific facts, not opinions about things how a bunch of people that were very widely diverse in age, in education levels, in in everything, um, came around to make lots of very well thought recommendations um, about changes that we should make in the UK to um, try and combat the climate emergency. And I think it's well worth watching. And it's also a really good lesson of how anyone can get involved in this. And it's not a it was something they all felt passionately about even if it was in just in their normal lives I remember there was one um, lady who she had a gas a, a coal fire or something in her house and her son had asthma and the penny dropped you know about all of this and she was making changes in her own life and there was one another I woman, saw that one yeah yeah it's really interesting. she another was in woman, Scarborough wasn't she bless her yeah I saw that yeah and lots of people then became got involved in their local town councils and things like that after that because they they knew so much and were so fired up with it so definitely everybody go and watch that one so um obviously we could talk for hours but we don't know because people don't want to listen for hours unfortunately Um, but maybe we can do this again in a few months when you know more about what the green party and xr is gonna do going forward so um what rachel um, this is an on the spot one. What would you advise and ask anyone listening to do to help the situation to move things forward? What can they be reading? What can they be joining? What should they do now? OK, um, I just would make a plea to people. Anybody's watching this. Please don't assume that there's lots of people like me and you, Joe, out there doing this for you. We can't because the task is too huge, because even with my background, I don't know enough, even now. I'm still on my journey with this. Um, But I know almost, I some days feel I know too much, if you know what I mean. Um, But, you know, it's like people keep going on about Caroline Lucas, isn't isn't she wonderful? Yes, she's absolutely wonderful, but she's just one green MP. She's one person, and no matter how brilliant she is, and she is, she is just one person and she is nearly 60 and I am nearly 50 and we cannot go on forever doing it for everyone else's benefit. It's just not, you know, and I'm not comparing myself to her. Of course I'm not, but I'm just trying to illustrate the point. Please do not think that, oh, it's fine. The government, because it's being talked about constantly now on the telly and in the media, it's fine. It's being taken care of. No, it isn't. It, it really, that's the hardest thing to get your head around. It absolutely is not being dealt with. We now know from COP, our leaders are not leading. They are being weak. They lack courage. They lack vision. They are being press ganged by lobbies in, in, and especially the fossil fuel lobby. They are not going to do it without bottom up pressure. And that means pressure from our population and populations around the world. And that means including you. You know, so find your level. Don't I wouldn't even, to be honest, Joe, say sit around reading stuff. I would say get out there. If you're an introvert, get over it. <laughs> you know, come along anyway. Um, come. It's, you don't have to look very 
all you've got to do, right, is Google Extinction Rebellion or even if you're feeling up to it, Google Insulate Britain. At least find out, at least educate yourself what we are saying. Obviously, check in with the Green Party, join the Green Party. It's, it's Money is no barrier, right? It's a tenner a year if you're unwaged. Everyone can afford that. Everyone can afford that. And that's why we do it the way we do it. We stagger it. Do that. But don't just do that and think, oh, brilliant. Right. Fantastic. You know, back to whatever, back to Love Island or whatever. You know, please. We always desperately need. We don't just win elections by magic. We have to fight really hard to win them. And we've done really well, but there's so much more to do. We have to get more green MPs. We have to. We've got an awful terrible voting system in this country that makes it very very difficult for us to to win seats um we got 1.1 million votes in 2015 and and we still only got one green mp if we had some form of proportional representation we should have had 15 to 20 green mps by now so that is what we are up against but it can be done and it must be done and i don't want to give you an election party broadcast but please 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 if if you could see your way we have, we're the only post-growth party, all right? The others will say things, of course they will, but we are the only party that has a post-growth agenda because we recognise we cannot go on as we have been. It's not working. Our political system is not working and our function within things is not is not working. So we have amazing, we, we're not just about the environment, we're about people, social justice, because we know it's so completely integral to climate justice, Okay. So I, I think I'm going to stop there. Um, but please don't sit on your on your backside and think, oh, somebody else will do the leafleting. Somebody else will do the door knocking. Somebody else will go to that meeting. Somebody else will do the action. No, really, really not. We've just got on, on Wednesday, as you know, Joe, probably yeah. nine, nine peaceful and I mean peaceful protesters have been jailed for three to six months. One of them is currently on hunger strike. And that's hugely worrying because she she's an amazing person. She's an ecologist by background. She used to work for Wildlife Wildlife Fund and she got sacked from her job for whistleblowing in the Middle East because she was trying to defend nature and from a big building, a big hotel building complex. And she objected and they sacked her, which is appalling. I'll I'll spare you the rest of the details of her, her path, her life, but you know, we've got, this is how bad things are. We are teetering on the edge of fascism, Joe, in this country. And I don't say that lightly. I really honestly breaks my heart to have to, to admit to that. But we are pretty Patel, Home Secretary wants, she's currently, the police and crimes bill is currently going through the House of Lords. It is a hideous piece of legislation. We have a proud tradition in this country of peaceful protest, right? If this goes through, and it probably will, because the House of Lords can only make suggested amendments to it. It's going to ban all protests. And there will be automatic stop and search without suspicions. There will be automatic um, arrests and jail terms. Um, It's actually unthinkable. Um, That's why we're doing what we can now before it... But uh, we can't be cowed. We can't be bullied by this government into stopping protesting. It's It's a basic human right to be able to peacefully protest. It sounds so, like something you'd read about from another country, doesn't it? It sounds like yeah. something you'd read about from Belarus or, um, you know, yeah. Myanmar or somewhere. Yeah, yeah. That's where we're now headed. And we yeah. we we have done what we have done in XR and, and elsewhere because we've had the democratic rights and, and the freedom 
to peacefully but directly disrupt and 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 protest and we've done that all along knowing that so many countries that you some of which you've mentioned don't have they don't have that that freedom and that luxury without being tortured or possibly shot or you know however you know things are not good in this country right now but at least that doesn't happen you know touch wood but if this this bill goes through we are I mean we are I'm not joking we are we are really on the edge of a fascist government here well I think um was it Ken Clark said said over the weekend that we are now in the situation where we have an elected dictator so he the government is elected by our faulty system so they're now in a position where they can push through pretty much anything they want and the whipping system of the MPs means even that conservative MPs who do not agree with it have to vote for it or get kicked out of the party so what kind of you, you we vote for our elected representative but they're not allowed to represent us or represent our views in parliament so it's it's wrong um well that's an understatement of the century and just to um something that really touched me spoke to me over the weekend as well was um, or maybe at the end of last week the current um, green activity being done by our government um, is to do a review of how we produce single-use plastics like plastic knives and forks plastic plates things like that for picnics and for events and things like that and maybe we should have a look at that and see if that's the best use of what we're doing you know and I'm thinking how far is that from where we need to be? How could it even be under discussion that those kind of things may or may not be useful or needed or any of those things? I mean, how big a change is it to say to people, bring your own knives and forks or have knives and forks in there that get washed? I mean, I just want to say to people, for heaven's sake, look at this, think about this and whether that makes sense or not, because it's completely insane isn't it? It's completely yeah. insane that we're still yeah. discussing whether or not yeah. we should get rid of plastic plates and plastic knives and forks, given the situation that we're in. And I that know. is the level that the government are on. They're not saying that's the right thing. Let's ban it. They're saying let's run a consultation to look at whether or not we should ban them. And there was an announcement by a minister. I can't remember her name, that basically said um, we need to look at whether we can use other materials for these disposable items, you know. No, 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 no. We don't you need to have disposable items. Just don't have them. Unnecessary. Just and don't have them. Yeah, and that's how I feel about all sorts of different things. We're we're trying to replace things that we have in our lives to be comfortable with other things. Was really we we have to change. You know, we having electric cars is great for when you need to have electric cars, but really, really, we need to be looking at: Do we need to have so many cars? Do we need to be driving? I've got me ranting again now. Do we need to be living and traveling and working in the ways that we are now? And for most of us, of course, we don't. Of course, we don't. We can we can actually eliminate all of that carbon just by minimizing it. You know, so, and actually. Even if you have an electric car, okay, and that's not, you're absolutely dead right, that's not the panacea that it's being made out to be, because the electricity has to come from somewhere, yeah? And I'm fighting amongst many other good people, Sizewell C, nuclear power station. I'm not going to, we haven't got time to get into that and the whys and wherefores, but... We we if we we have to use less. We we're still not having a national conversation around. No. Guess what, guys? We've just got to use less energy. Yeah. And so and everything in in every. In, in 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 the making of everything and in the use of everything and so you know the power has to come from somewhere for electric vehicles so that's something you have to think about 
the uh, rare earth minerals that go into the batteries, including lithium, are finite yeah. because we still live on that finite planet. Yeah. And there's issues around um, slave labor mining for those minerals for the batteries. Um, there just aren't enough minerals for enough batteries for everyone to have an electric car. There just aren't. No. Plus, most people, including me, could not afford one now no. in our wildest dreams. And even if we could, as I say, for those previous reasons it's not feasible there's never going to be enough charging points and we're still going to have congestion we're still going to have umpteen deaths roadkill uh roadkill of wildlife and roadkill of of people that those issues are still going to be there and i believe joe something i've been talking to somebody about this week actually part of the reason okay one of the reasons amongst a few that I think that we are so divided as a society. Obviously, it's financial, yeah? We've got record levels of poverty, along with record levels of um, decadence yeah. and, and affluence. Um, we've, we're so divided, it's, it's horrendous. Um, but we've got terrible divisions, as we've mentioned and alluded to, around people in their social media and other silos and misunderstandings arising from that because we're not having enough social contact. And of course, COVID hasn't helped with that. And COVID of course is related to the climate and ecological crisis. Yeah. It's not just one of those things. It's completely directly related to where we are with ecological and climate breakdown, I'm afraid. But so, so all those things and everyone traveling around in their own personal vehicles, how is that helping with social cohesion? Like we need buses on the scale that they have in London but obviously just on a smaller scale depending on whether you live in a big town or a small town or whatever wherever you live we need that kind of frequency of public transport that's affordable you know like it's brilliant in London you pay a pound and off you go wherever you're going it's it's just so easy and it's so brilliant and everyone can afford that that's what we need and we need it for the climate for the emissions um, but we also need it for social cohesion yeah. because I know I've had some of the best conversations of my life sometimes with strangers on buses and on trains. Yeah. And safety. And you, I think it's and safety. Yeah. I've got, I, do you know, I, I actually don't own a car anymore. I'm not trying to be whiter than white. I understand some people still need their cars, but actually you probably need one less or uncertainly you don't need to make as many journeys as you think you perhaps do. You know, I have a bike, Okay, I walk like seven minutes walk from the station, but I, and I take my my train on the bike with me. But I no longer need a car. Take your train on the bike with you? No. Yes. <laughs> I know what you meant. I know what you, you know meant. Other way around. Yeah. <laughs> now, funny enough, I was talking so, to my. You know, if we think parents. outside the box. Yeah, exactly. Changing. Yeah, I was talking to my parents about this actually. You know, my mum. She was talking about how when she was first came to the UK you could get on a bus anywhere you never had to worry about whether there was going to be a bus along because there would always be a bus along you know you didn't have to worry about um how you paid because it was all very straight but there was conductors she was talking about there was conductors in those days which you probably would never go back to but the idea was anybody without any knowledge whatsoever could get on a bus really easily and go where they wanted to go you know whereas now it's much more complicated and they've probably moved over to cards now everywhere I should think but at one point when I had my kids were young you always had to have the right money you didn't know where you were supposed to be going it was really complicated you know to get on a bus there was a whole learning curve thing about buses so yeah definitely um, we're going to have to change our behaviour to become much more community oriented in in that space. So yeah, I think I think that that's so right. Getting out there, talking to people, um, 
and, and public transport is a great way of doing that. And I think we'll also have to look at things like leasing models, where if you really do need a car, maybe you can get you can get that from a, a central pool, you know, of cars to go and do that. We don't all have to have several on our driveway just in case we need to have them. It's like everything, isn't it? Yeah. It's mad. Anyway, we've been going for more than an hour, so I think we probably ought to wrap it up there. Um, any links? I know that there's actually in the in Suffolk there's a um, XR meeting this week, isn't there? An online is it Suffolk East? There's a um, an online thing, so I'll put the link for that in the chat as well. If anyone wants to join in, hope I've got the date right, but I'll put it in there anyway, um, so people can hit listen in and see what else is what's going on locally to them. Um, the Green Party links are put in as well into the chat. Um, and yeah, well, people can hopefully join join you, me, us and whatever our journeys are and, and get involved in a lot of this. Yeah, join, join us. And if you don't like us for some reason or you don't see there's any it doesn't fit you for whatever reason, you can always unjoin it. <laughs> you're, not, exactly. you're not signing your life away. Exactly. And it's not it's not you're not going to be it's not everybody's the same and you're going to be have have to become the same as everyone else you just be yourself and and fit in where you fit in I think that's the important thing absolutely brilliant thank you so much Rachel for your time it's been really fascinating and as you can tell from the length of our conversation we could probably have done it for a really long time but um thank you so much it is a huge subject and I'll get one again at some point but thank you so much for spending the time with us on the where does it come from podcast and thanks for inviting me